Amen. Turn around and say hello to everyone. And then, if you would, be seated. Thank you so much. Don't forget, we're in a special, special offering campaign right now uh, to give hardback Bibles to third world Christians. And uh, we hopefully today, as of today, will surpass uh, 1,000 Bibles. I'm hoping that we can and uh, that we can give $1,000 a week throughout the rest of this month of February. So please help us to reach our goals, how important that truly is. Also, we have sign-up boards, and praise the Lord for each name, each volunteer. And this is for the Men and Boys Beast Feast, Saturday, uh, March the 2nd. We have these flyers. I hope you'll place them, hand them out to people, and let's get a good turnout. And don't forget this week, want to be busy about our Father's business, passing tracts, witnessing to people, and uh, be out Wednesday night for Bible study in the book of Romans. Uh, you'll want to learn, I mean, some wonderful doctrine will be learned that we can apply in our lives as we want to be effective for Jesus Christ. And then be out Saturday, 9 o'clock cleaning, 10 o'clock visitation, and uh, moving on through the month. So many uh, great things coming up in the days ahead uh, beyond the Beast Feast, of course, we have, uh, we have special things going on with Palm Sunday, uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, Resurrection Sunday musicale, and we will start rehearsing for that musicale on the 3rd. So I hope that we'll have a good representation of adults and young people as well involved in that preparation. Tonight we are speaking on a very important subject. You know, over in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, we have them bringing little children to Jesus and asking Him to lay hands on them. We're going to see some wonderful truths in our Scripture tonight. And I don't want you to tune me out because maybe your kids are grown and gone. Uh, maybe you are grandparents, even great-grandparents, and that's all right. But the truth of the matter is that each and every one of us as a person, as an individual, makes choices and decisions, and we do so based upon our development, our world view. What is your world view? What was it when you grew up, and what is it now, and has it changed? And do you realize that the behaviors of people throughout the world, whether you agree with them or whether uh, they please you or disgust you or upset you, whatever it may be, uh, you know, if folks were raised in the right way, they would have the right world view. At least they'd have the opportunity to make choices based on absolute truth instead of upon uh, other things that are not absolutely true. Tonight, what I'm saying to you is perhaps the most important thing that we could ever hear tonight. I believe in child evangelism. I was saved as a child. Going all the way back to early in our ministry, we always believed in reaching the children. Even back in our first church, even before Gwendolyn and I were married, when I served in uh, ministries on weekends out of college, they called it extension in those days, we worked with children, we worked with young people. Now those young people and those children that we first worked with are now grandparents themselves. And so time passes, and I wonder if we can honestly say that the world is in better shape than it was two or three generations ago. I have to conclude that there has been a vacuum of spiritual truth being taught. There has been an absence of uh, absolutes and morality and ethics being, uh, being uh, absorbed by the generations which have followed. But child evangelism and child training is so very important because this is where our foundation for life is established. There it is. And there should be a point in time, somewhere in our early years, where we exchange our childish values and thoughts for those that are more founded upon the Word of God and established as truth. That should happen. Even in the great love chapter on charity in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we have this principle given to us again. Verse number 11 says, When I was a child, I what? I spake as a what? A child. I understood as what? A child. 
I thought, how? As a child. Here it is. But, there, there it is. But, when I became a man, an adult, I put away childish things. This is the principle that's being applied in this case to the fact that in apostolic times, uh, there were signs and wonders which were given prior to the completion of our 66 books of the Bible. The 27 books of the New Testament were not complete yet. But when John finally penned the Revelation, then we have the entire New Testament. So the Old and New Testament, 66 books uh, are complete. And we, at that point, had that which is perfect, which was come. It says back in uh, verse number 8 of 1 Corinthians 13, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, that is the gift of languages, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. That's, the, that's divine knowledge. beyond not, not going to the library or going to school, but divine knowledge. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that's the completed Bible, then that which is in part shall be done away. So the apostolic age served its purpose, ran its course, and has passed off the scene. And today there are people who are attempting uh, or are believing to attempt those things that they think belong in the apostolic age, but the apostolic age is past. That ship has sailed. That, that train has left the station. And the the, uh, the um, principle of putting away childish things is applied here to that. Praise God, we've got spiritually adult truth given to us right here in the Word of God. I, uh, I go a little further on this in saying that child evangelism and training is so very important on many levels. It's important because heaven and hell are in the balance. Uh, and, uh, and beyond that, the quality of life based upon whatever foundation they have and proceed in life with. Uh, we, have, uh, uh, we have wonderful grandchildren. We have uh, our youngest grandchild uh, will, is not yet five. will be five this spring very shortly. And, um, but as a four-year-old, uh, he's amazing. Uh, he had some developmental issues because he had seizures, and for that reason, some of his speech was affected, and he's uh, still dealing with it. I have absolute confidence that James will grow up to be an eloquent preacher of the gospel because at four years of age, he can tell you all about creation. He knows who created everything, and he can list everything that's created, and he'll go on and on, won't he, sweetie? And, he, and, he, and God made us. And he can tell you about heaven and hell, and he can tell you about the Garden of Eden. He can tell you about temptation and sin, all of those things. And then he says, uh, you have to ask Jesus in your heart and be saved. He takes away your sin. And he says, I've already done that, four years of age. So he's remarkable. Uh, even though he's got this developmental issue, he's remarkable. And even a child is known by his doings, whether they be good and whether they be right. Uh, a child is known. Uh, by those characteristics. We sang a few moments ago, let him have his way with thee. And this is what it boils down to. At any, at any given time, at any stage of our development, spiritually, we can balk, we can dig in our heels, and we will never go further uh, to the point of completion, to the point of maturity, where God wants us to go. Instead, we'll stay, stay in that same spot, stuck in that same rut, so to speak, without the hope of further development if we don't say yes to Jesus. Saying yes, Lord, yes, is more than just a little tune that we sing. Yes, Lord, yes, is what we're supposed to be saying to Him every single day. God wants you to go here, do this, say that, be part of this. And we need to say yes and not give God a laundry list of all the reasons why we shouldn't have to do that or why we don't want to do that. Many, many times if we examine our motives, it's because it's out of our pride, out of our flesh, out of our unwillingness to say yes to Jesus. He came along the shore. He said to those fishermen, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Straightway, they left their nets. Straightway, 
they followed Jesus. And there's only one right way to do this, one right method to do this. It's not to say, well, I need to think about this and study this. Gwendolyn and I were talking, and she was sharing with me some things that she had just reread in the Scriptures for the umpteenth time. But it had to do with uh, the folks down in the wilderness. And you remember they came to a place called Kadesh Barnea. I wonder how many Christians have failed at Kadesh Barnea in their life. But they came, and when they heard the discouraging word of those ten spies who disappeared off the scene after that, they said, oh, I don't want to go in there. I don't want to fight those giants. I don't want to go to those walled cities. I don't want to deal with all those iron chariots and all those things. And they were very, very concerned. And so they balked. They dug in their heels. God said, okay, that's it. They came back later and said, we're ready to go in now. God said, Moses, don't go in. I won't be with you. Too late. Too late. So many Christians have come to their Kadesh Barnea and gone no further. That's it. So many have come to a point where God said, let's move on now in our development. Do you know that if they had gone in uh, to the land that was theirs, it would have all been given to them. Do you know that those enemies, no matter if they're nine feet, ten feet tall, they would have fallen immediately. They, God would have been with them. They would have lost no battles. They would have lost no people as long as they were in the center of God's will. They would have just gone through. And all of those vineyards and all of those agricultural uh, areas, all of those cities, all of those uh, defenses, all of those things would have been given to them. And they, they would have simply appropriated those things by the grace of God and for His glory. How many Christians have failed to appropriate the blessings of God? They've stopped right where they are. So when I was a child, I spake as a child. I thought as a child. I, I uh, understood as a child. But when I became a man, when I became mature, I put away childish things. Now, underneath everything is a foundation, hopefully a spiritual foundation. Sadly, because our nation has drifted so far, and I don't want to just... I don't want to just attack and attack and attack. I want to be part of the solution. How about you? And so that is exactly and precisely why we have determined to go the route that we have been going. And that is this, youth and kids extravaganza. And in the youth and kids extravaganza, we have on purpose, we have deliberately chosen to to, you know, in, in the uh, packaging of games and activities and competition and prizes and excitement and foods and snacks, <clears throat> give them a Bible challenge on one of the attributes of God. These kids, at this rate, will know more Bible about God than an adult Christian, a typical adult Christian in most cases. They need to know that. Because this is the beginning. In the beginning, God. You've got to start with God. You need to know who God is. He, is. he is the beginning of wisdom. He is the one who's always there. He's the one who watches over and protects us and all those things. And so all of our extravaganza uh, uh, subjects and topics for the next five or six years all have to do with this foundational truth so that these children will grow up to be adults who will put away childish things and will have a worldview of right and wrong, have a worldview upon which they can make wise choices, and these, these principles, these, uh, this structure will dominate their life, and everything can be traced back to the truths that they have been taught in these early in these early years. Now, it is very true that about 85% of your personality, my personality, your character, and my character uh, is developed within the first four, five, or six years of our life. And therefore, our primary caregivers might be mom, mom and dad, might be grandma, might be somebody, a special caregiver, but our whole persona is being formed before we ever come to accountability, we're being formed right then. I believe that who I am 
was started to be formed when I was still in my mother's womb. And uh, the things that were listened to, heard, my mother was memorizing scripture, was speaking the truth, and I believe that those things were already in the process of being formed before I was born. And I thank God so much for that. It says in Psalm 127, won't you mark it down, because I'm not just talking about your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about why we are the way we are, why we think the way we think, and why we do the things that we do in the way that we do them. Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Do you know that there are absolutely wicked cities and wicked uh, towns and wicked states and wicked places on this earth because they've been built on a wicked foundation? You know, there are places that are dominated by evil, the world, the flesh, the devil, controlled by demons. Did you know that? Did you know that there are people and families that are absolutely controlled by the devil and have been for two and three and four generations? And, and uh, the only hope is Jesus Christ. It, that, that is the only way to have a foundation upon which the rest of the life can be built. When you go into 2 Peter and you read that first chapter and you read about Jesus Christ being the foundation. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Then you realize that on that you have virtue and you have all of those other floors on up, a seven-story house with character and structure. And yet today there is such a sad vacuum. There are ruins and there are poorly constructed lives because we don't have Jesus Christ as the foundation. Except the Lord build the house, the Lord build the life, the Lord build the family, the Lord build the church, the Lord build the town, the Lord build the country. Without Jesus, there is no hope. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, try to do it on your own. Human effort results in humanism. Humanism will take you straight to hell. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. You will eat the bread of sorrow. People will be sitting there and they'll be saying, why is it so bitter? Why is it so terrible? For so he giveth his beloved sleep. That speaks of the rest that we have in Jesus. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's spiritual rest. You and I don't have to worry about it. We simply have to have faith in the right one, in the right thing in the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, and in the Word of God itself, in His promises, that's where our faith needs to reside. Now we're back to children here, literal children, and also in the stages of development. Low children are in heritage of the Lord. In other words, God is saying through the psalmist here, those kids belong to Him. They came from Him. They're His business. And you and I may have the legal right, the societal permission to raise the children totally, to raise children totally wrong. And they're being raised totally wrong in many places. And people might get away with it. Or they might do like, like some countries and governments and societies and just let the government, let the government education system, let, let other people who have no, have no concept of God do all the raising, all the educating, and then now we're in that age where most of what they are seeing and absorbing is coming off of electronics that are controlled by people who don't even believe in God and don't acknowledge Jesus Christ. And so they're looking at that. All their gaming all of their education, all of even how their, their Wikipedia or whatever is, is approached, all the definitions is being filtered through an ungodly source. This might get me kicked off, but I'm going to tell you right now, we still need Jesus. We still need the Bible to be foundational. The fruit of the womb is His reward. We start with those children, those little ones, when we started as kids. We, we were the reward of the Lord. Our kids are the reward from the Lord. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man. Now, a mighty man in Bible times had to have right here, or right here, they had to have a quiver. Or back here, they had to have a quiver. 
They would reach back here, or they would reach here, or they would reach here, take out that arrow and take that bow, depending upon if they're right or left-handed. And they would not be a mighty man if they weren't adept at getting the arrow into its proper position and then getting that arrow into the center of the target or whatever they were shooting at. That's what makes a mighty man. We have people in the Bible called a mighty man. They were all accurate. They were all effective. And when it comes to the responsibility and the privilege of raising up folks, those that raised you and those that we raised, that is a high and holy privilege. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Tremendous, tremendous potential. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. That means high-level conversations. That means going toe-to-toe, eyeball-to-eyeball with every challenge and not being fearful and not shrinking back, but stepping up and accepting responsibility. May God enable us to be, and then in turn to raise, generation after generation that spiritually will be adept with those arrows in the quiver and uh, will be mighty individuals spiritually, and uh, will hit the target, will we'll shoot straight, will be accurate, and will be able to stand toe-to-toe, eyeball-to-eyeball with the enemies in the gate, and not shrink from it, and, and not apologize, but instead say, I know exactly who I am in Christ. I know exactly where I've been placed, and what I am to be and to do. God has made that very plain. And the reason I know that, I know that I know it, is because He gave me a book, and my life has been based upon it. It's not based upon how I feel today or at this particular moment. It has nothing to do with how things have gone. It has everything to do with what God says in His book. That is... The absolute truth. And tonight, we need to get this right. We need to get this absolutely right. So when they brought the children to Jesus, Jesus is looking at this, and he's magnifying these kids. How many times with little babies and toddlers have you tried to imagine what they're going to be someday? I've already verbally imagined with you that one day James will be a great preacher of the gospel. I've already imagined that. And you have to have a godly desire for your life and for those who come after you, those with whom you have to do. The children, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren, you've got to see them the way God sees them. You've got to believe what the Bible says that they can be for the cause of Jesus Christ. We, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't stand back on our heels and say, well, whatever they want to do, what would you like to be? Well, because they've been watching all this electronic junk. i tell you what they want to do. They want to be a superhero. You know, they want to, they want to drive a hypersonic, uh, not yet invented vehicles through indestructible uh, walls and, and buildings Drive like a maniac. No wonder we have what happens out here. Drive like a maniac. Act like a maniac. Have, have no absolutes. Just do whatever excites, whatever feels, and it takes more and more and more junk to excite the system that has been ignited on that level. i got to tell you, the Bible and the truth of the Word of God is spiritually exciting with, without igniting the flesh. All right, so... What, what are they excited, and how are they excited? That's something that's got to be considered. It's got to be taken into consideration. In Matthew chapter 19, and verse 13, Then were there brought unto him little children, still in stages of development, still probably being raised, listen now, still being raised, being brought up by their primary caregivers, And they're being brought to Jesus. Why? Because perhaps uh, they see Jesus as a great role model. Perhaps they see him as a great prophet or teacher and something can be imparted. Uh, Maybe the children had physical needs and they saw him as a great healer. 
but certainly whether they recognize it or not, they were bringing their children to the right spiritual resource, the one upon whom they would depend if they were brought up right in the future. That's why we need to bring our children, our grandchildren, those that we have on the buses, those that we have in Sunday school, those that we have in extravaganza, we need to bring them up in doctrine, in truth, so they understand what truly is, not what is simply imagined in the flesh. So they brought children, little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray. If ever we need the Lord, lay hands on children. We need to be his hands. We need to pray for those kids. Now notice there was opposition. The disciples rebuked them. Remember one mentor of mine was preaching this passage of Scripture and said, Then we brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the church members rebuked him. Now, no. Be careful. Be careful. We ought to be about a positive outreach for the cause of Jesus Christ. And when those children come through those doors, we ought to treat them just as God sees them, as having great potential to become something for God someday. But Jesus said, suffer, permit little children, and forbid them not. That's my title tonight. Forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. Those kids, wonderful. I remember when I was a little kid, one of the earliest memories I have was one day for... Now, I'm not against uh, speech therapy. People ought to have speech therapy if they can't speak right. But um, I remember, because we talk about how we hear things, and, um, and they were going through uh, the, the initial testing procedure showing pictures to us. I, I believe we're in, I don't know, first, second grade, something like that. We were supposed to call it what it is, and that, that person that was the facilitator would write down if we needed speech therapy. Well, lo and behold, after that test, I was called into speech therapy. And the reason was not because I had a speech impediment. Nothing wrong with people that do. They can grow out of it. They can be trained and so forth. But see, they had shown me a picture of a, I think it was a Hoover vacuum cleaner. And I said what I had heard with my ears as a little six-year-old, I'd heard that this was a back room cleaner. And I, I did not... I did not mispronounce vacuum. I had no concept of what a vacuum is or how you create a vacuum or what a vacuum does. I thought because that particular Hoover was kept in the back room that they were saying back room cleaner. So he showed me a picture of a back room cleaner. You're all smiling now. I said back room cleaner and I landed in speech therapy. Now it only lasted one session, because they realized, you know, that, that I could say anti-establishmentarianism and so forth. I could say all those things. And uh, I, I had command of, of the language to the point that a, a six-year-old should have. Uh, Sheldon Smith shares this in The Sword. School children are known to mouth the approximate sounds of some songs, pledges, and prayers without quite knowing what they say. What was the the one thing that you, uh, may the Lord from above send us peace, peace from above. Now, Gwendolyn, when she was growing up, still not real fond of them, but uh, was, not, was not a big fan of peas, like green peas, garden peas. So when she heard, when the, the Lord from, I mean, the Lord from above, whom you love, send you peace from above, she said, I don't want any. I don't want any peace from them because that's what she heard. And uh, you've heard about... Uh, uh, Gladly, the cross-eyed bear, you know, you know the little character, the cross-eyed cross bear. Okay. Anyway, it's, um, there are all kinds of things that kids hear. You know what I'm talking about, Tom, with the bus routes. So, all right. School children known to mouth. There was, for example, the boy who had this phrase in the Pledge of Allegiance. One nation under God, invisible, with liberty and justice sprawl. Well, that's what we got out here. We're on the edge of the sprawl, aren't we? For sure. One of the most confused, though, was the recently heard song, Our Country, Dizzery, Sweet Land of Liberty, 
O thee, I see, land where our fathers dine, dine, D-I-N-E, land of our program's prime, from other mountain time, let Freeman read. Need an interpreter. Amen. But someone has said, children are like cement, wet cement. Whatever falls on them makes an impression. And that is so true. We need to suffer the children, allow the children, and forbid them not to come unto Jesus, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. The value of children is pointed out in what Jesus said. Not only can, can children get saved at four and five and six years of age, that's possible, and it's different for everybody, but also for anybody who is older to get saved, they have to have the simplicity in their faith to receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior, not adding to it layer upon layer, extra, extra things and, and extra uh, aspects of salvation, but just simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. That's it. That's it. Our worldview is developed very early on. And if it's wrong, it needs to be shed for something that's right. And the responsibility of training up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, it lies upon us as adults as we help to train up children. Now, if you discover that your worldview is skewed, it's wrong because you were brought up wrong, uh, you have two choices. You can stay there and continue to be wrong. It's kind of like being in the highway on the wrong side with all the traffic coming at you, or you can do something about making a U-turn or getting back on your own side of the highway. Now, which is it going to be? Are you going to sit there and, uh, and, and be all upset that you're going the wrong way on the highway, or are you going to get on the right side? That's what it boils down to. There is no excuse for people who are absolutely grown up and have access to the truth, not to accept the truth and make the truth a part of the fabric of their own character. Our worldview, whatever it is, is going to influence, if not direct and dominate, our life choices. This is, this is a frightening, frightening thing. I was reading in one of the papers that comes to me, and... Uh, in this particular message on the front page, the question is asked, does doctrine matter? Does doctrine matter? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. Now, that's important. The verse before that says that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scripture, the scriptures that are able to make thee wise unto salvation. So it's very important that we have the truth as a child growing up, and at some point in time, we need to shed whatever is childish and false and not correct and not eternal and replace it with that which is eternal that cannot be moved. Absolutely cannot be moved. Bible constitutes the law of God. God is the lawgiver and also the judge. There it is. Jesus described the doctrine of the Pharisees, but in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Not the word of God, but the commandments of men. This is important. The basis for spiritual training is the Bible itself. It says in Matthew chapter 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scripture, which is able to make thee wise unto salvation. There it is. The individual and the family and the church and the nation and society all have the potential to grow up out of spiritual immaturity and become mature. Now along the way, individuals need to personally receive Christ as Savior in order for this process to continue. But... But once a person has been saved, they've got everything in place that they need with the Word of God. What you need is about a fourth grade education, and you can read and sound out every word in the Bible. You can look it up in the Webster's 1828. You can look it up in the Strong's Concordance. There is absolutely no excuse for people not to understand absolute truth. That's why the devil has tried to make our nation a nation of illiterates. That's why the devil, through that business of, of sight recognition at my generation, 
I was in the California school district as a child, and they said, we're going to start something different. You're not going to learn to sound out your words. You're going to learn to recognize them by sight. I have since studied this, and I have discovered that this was absolutely misplaced by misdirected people. But the devil was behind it because he didn't want people to learn to read and sound things out. You, you are only capable, I am only capable of absorbing a few hundred to a few thousand shapes of words and then your brain won't function or process anymore. And the devil wants a generation or two or three of illiterates so that we can't read the Bible and find out what absolute truth is. Do you know the foundation for this nation is found in the Bible? Just, just read what Bill Grady had to say. He gave us the truth. I mean, our country, our nation, our documents are founded upon this right here. The, 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 the three branches of our government are in this book. And now today you have people that want to overthrow and rewrite the Constitution that God allowed us to have these centuries. Spiritual training needs to begin with the Word of God. We need to put away childish things. The family unit will grow cohesive and stronger as everybody has an understanding of the will of God. The will of God is found in the Word of God. Get into the Word until the Word gets into you. Some time ago, some research was done. And while polls and research certainly can be, can be somewhat flawed, this was research done by Christians. They did some research, and here's what they found out. They found out that whether they are children or teenagers or adults, generally unsaved people retain a, an odd palette, a mixed bag of beliefs that are not based upon the Word of God, that may only be fringe connected with the Word of God. Nine out of ten will believe in the existence of some kind of higher power, but not the higher power of the Bible, a person who created us in His image. Why, why a number of people will even believe in some of the other doctrines of the Bible, but they don't have the substance of the doctrine down. They don't understand it. Two-thirds of our nation's 13-year-olds are at least somewhat persuaded that the Bible is somewhat accurate. But three-quarters believe that the devil does not exist, that Satan is just a symbol of evil. So Satan can, can go on undercover, and he can, he can absolutely overthrow everything, and people just think that he's made up. They think he's made up because superheroes are made up. They think that Jesus is made up because superheroes are made up. They think, they think that God is, uh, is just some invisible higher power like chance and, and uh, uh, like um, you know just uh, rolling the dice or drawing the cards. It comes out because it came out that way. Three quarters of our teenagers believe that a good person earns entry into heaven by doing enough good works. People, they believe, are born with a spark of good. They believe that books from different religions can all be brought like some great smorgasbord to one location, and you can pick and choose whatever you want, your truth. That's your truth. That language is absolutely 100% acceptable and is promoted in our public institutions today where they say, well, that's your truth. That's your truth. That's your truth. No, there is the truth. You say, well, you're dogmatic. No, I'm a biblicist. Two-thirds of our young people believe that you can pray to deceased saints and it can have a positive effect on your life. Now, they may substitute deceased saints for people that have died, but they believe in communicating with the dead and getting directions. Oh, Mom, tell me what to do. Uh, Grandpa, tell me what to do. Mom, Dad, Grandpa, whether they went to heaven or hell, can't tell you what to do. The Bible, the Holy Spirit can tell you what to do. Life either has no meaning to them, or it's meaning that can only be realized through some destiny, some fate, hard work, some task. 
And while we believe that the Lord guides us into certain areas to work to serve, we understand that our satisfaction doesn't come from the work or from the job or come from the, from the income or come from the position in life or, or the, the position in society, but satisfaction comes from God in doing His will and hearing God say, well done. For most young people and as a result for most adults, there are no absolute morals, no absolute right or wrong. Now, just because people don't believe in it because they haven't been taught it doesn't mean that it isn't so. So the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. How many of you believe that? The Bible says so. Hebrews 4, we're told that. Sharper than a two-edged sword. What can you do with a sword? You can cut both ways. So you use the Word of God regardless whether or not a person believes it. You use the Word of God and it will be effective. So we need to hide God's Word in our heart. We need to use it effectively. I want you to mark this down. Children matter to God. They ought to matter to us. Our childhood and our continuous undeveloped part, so the child, so-called child within. Now, I don't want to get freaky psycho babble on you, but for some who have not matured in areas of your life, there's still that childishness. So children are important to God. So the thing that you and I and everyone else has going for us, even though we may have some wrong ideas, some undeveloped areas of our life, God still loves us. And that's the most powerful motivation in the universe. God really does love us. Children, number one, put it down, are a gift from God. We read that in Psalm 127, verse 3. He grants children to us. We were granted to our parents. God grants children. Children to our children, these are a special sign of love, and it means personal fulfillment. And not only can we bless those kids, but those kids can bless us. Amen and amen. Number two, children ought to be desired. Children ought to be desired. From the beginning of human history, God has instructed us to... to um, procreate to have children to bring them into this world and to train them up and to to do right by them that's very important and to teach them how to think and act in relation to the God of the Bible I hope all parents do that but whether or not they do that we're going to do that through our church our Sunday school our extravaganza our outreaches we're going to teach children that they are desired that they are loved they are not an accident they 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 didn't just get here incidentally. God has a purpose for them. They are important to God. And they need to have that relationship that God desires to have with them. But until the sin question is dealt with, God will never have that same relationship with them that He desires. And so children who are valuable to God and those that He loves are protected and kept safe and watched over and guided into all truth by the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. And that's why it's a part of a greater plan. When we're out there on Saturdays on visitation and we cross paths with parents and their children, grandparents, children, children, uh, whoever we cross paths with, that is a divine appointment. That is God planning somebody's wonderful experience of the new birth. Think about that. All things are passed away. All things are become new. And if the devil doesn't get them off the tracks, we will be able to go and disciple them and help them to become followers of Jesus Christ and get them baptized and they come to church and they get regular in attendance and they begin to read their Bible and pray as a family and as individuals and live for God and become little missionaries for Jesus Christ in their neighborhood and a great plan will be carried out. This is important. Children are a gift from God. Children are to be desired. God wants to have a genuine, number three, a genuine relationship with children. We can enter into His presence with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. God wants us to know the right way to go. He loves us so much. I, I caught a portion of Brother Steve's message down there in Sefner today. He told me he's going to preach on this. He's preaching a series on things to be considered and things to be thought about. And he said, you know, the greatest way that God 
shows His love to us is that He, that he reiterates our importance so much that He would love us enough to discipline us when we need it. Say, if we just say, ah, I'm not going to discipline those kids, those grandkids, I'm not going to discipline those ones that need to be fixed because, because it's just too much trouble. Push it off, shove it off. That's a problem. If we discipline correctly, if we discipline biblically, we have a part in the, the development of those children to go to the next level, the next level, the next level, the next level. When we skip the discipline and we make excuses like, I just, he's so cute, she's so cute, I just love them so much. When you let them get away with their own willfulness, you have established a pattern for the rest of their life. And that's wrong. That's a sin against God. That's a sin against a child. God wants every little child with their intellect, their nature, their personality to be developed for the glory of God. Suffer the children and forbid them not to come unto me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know. I don't know if you've got some childish areas of your life that need development. I don't know if you need to rethink your own child rearing and raising. I don't know if that's the case. But this message from the Bible tonight is definitely needed. It's not just needed by those here or those listening online. It needs to be forwarded and forwarded and forwarded and forwarded and forwarded. So if you've got one of those electronic demons, you go ahead and just keep forwarding. Just keep forwarding. Just keep forwarding. Just keep forwarding. Parents are primarily responsible. Grandparents, other caregivers are responsible. Teachers Bus workers, adults in the church, we're all responsible. But I'll tell you what, the one thing we want to come out of our discipline and out of our training is we want to instill in that little heart a burning passion to know God, to serve God, and to please God. To know God, to serve God, and to please God. That's what we want to develop in them. So I, I just want them to come when I tell them to come. I just want them to go when I tell them to go. I just want them to stop and do and eat and, and speak or not speak or whatever when I tell them. That's true, but they're your child, not your puppy. And there is a difference. There is a difference. They've got an immortal soul. It's going to spend eternity somewhere. Plus, they can become what God wants them to become, but they will be whatever we make them. That's it. We need to start the spiritual training when they're very young, even in the womb. Waiting too long produces such unfortunate outcomes. I don't want to even start down the list. We want to teach them that every breath they take, every step they take, every, every thought they think, every word they speak should be a part of the format of our worship of Almighty God who made us, who created us with a purpose, who will save us, who will keep us, who will satisfy us. And we are here for one purpose, and that is to bring glory and honor to that one, to that God. The world doesn't know he exists. They have a, they have a weird concept of the higher power. They don't have any idea that Jesus Christ is very God in a body. They have no concept that the Bible is for us today. Every word is God-breathed. God loved us so much, he sent a love letter to us that took 1,600 years to put down and put together and give to us. It's been through all of that, all the persecution, all the martyrdom, all the bloodletting, so that we might have a Bible. And there it sits. And we think we're doing God a great big favor. Oh, we deserve an award because we read the Bible through one time. Oh, my. Oh my, because we whispered one prayer, because we read one verse, we memorized one half of a verse. We had one thought that was a portion of a thought, and we think we've done God a great big favor. Listen to me. We have not. We owe him everything, and everything about us ought to glorify him. Those children, we as the children as well, need to grow up and mature in worshiping God with every thought, with every breath, with every step, with every word, worshiping God. That's our, our 
significant and important privilege and responsibility. And then we know that I have not apprehended that for which I am apprehended. It's a lifelong learning. I know that. I know that. I understand that. But I'm so glad and I want to give public praise to the Lord Jesus. He gave us this extravagance and opportunity. God gave us a second chance to build a program in the hearts and minds of young people that will last them for generations, the next generation, the next generation. If Jesus doesn't come back first, they'll be able to say, these kids will say to their kids and their grandkids someday, did you know that God is all-powerful? Did you know that God loves us? Did you know that God is truth, that he is light, that he is, that he is all those attributes rolled up in one? Did you know that? And God wants you to have a relationship with him and wants you to worship and glorify him by every breath you take, by every step you take, by every thought you think, by every word you speak, by every relationship, by every choice you make. And every choice we make is a reflection of our worldview. Is it biblical? Is it what God has taught us through his word by his spirit? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Every head bowed. Every eye closed. And how many of you tonight say, Preacher, God spoke to my heart tonight. Slip your hand up high. God spoke to my heart. God spoke to my heart tonight. Amen. Maybe he's speaking to you about your children, your grandchildren, uh, or other children with whom you have to deal. Maybe he's speaking to you about your own development and the need for us to get it right now. Finally, get it right. Get it right. You might want to come to the altar and have a word of prayer. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, would you pray right now? Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die.